Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode is Real Estate Perspectives, Portfolio Considerations Across the Risk Spectrum, and has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm Brian Nottage, a member of the research team for Real Estate Americas. With me today are Ann Cole, Portfolio Manager of Strategic Property Fund, and Eric Johnson, Separate Account Portfolio Manager. Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Great. Thanks for having us, Brian. Happy to be here. So I'm going to jump right in. And you are a portfolio manager that focuses on core. And Eric, you focus mostly on value-add opportunistic with some core. So I'm going to ask you, thinking about the broad real estate market and kind of where we are in the cycle, what's the current market environment look like in your view? And what should investors be thinking about? Great. So maybe I'll take that one first. So I think as we think about it, we would say that the broad commercial real estate market feels relatively solid. Right. So when we start thinking about the fundamental picture that's out there is, you know, you look across the landscape, vacancy rates are at 30-year lows. We're seeing relatively modest new supply coming into the marketplace. So those two metrics make us feel good. While we're not seeing stellar corporate earnings as we look into 2019, they're still positive. So the backdrop is we're still seeing continued demand out there broadly across the space. And that's setting up the stage for relatively solid fundamentals. On the other side, from a transaction perspective, is that we're not really seeing froth in the market, particularly when you think about what was happening in 2006. So today, there's enough transaction activity to make the market liquid, but you're not seeing this excess amount of capital coming into the market that's creating pricing that makes you feel uncomfortable. We're still seeing relatively appropriate spreads from a risk premium perspective for where you're pricing core real estate relative to the 10-year treasury. It sits in that 340 basis point range. That's kind of historical norms and certainly wider than where we saw it in 2006, where it was much more narrow, closer to about 150 basis points. So overall, I think we would say that the fundamentals and the transaction side of the equation feels okay. Okay. Eric? I would just add to that that the debt market is very, very liquid. It's not difficult to find debt for transitional assets or for core assets. And I think that the broad capital market prices, so forth, is stable. You know, there's not a lot of volatility in the price. I think if you had to look at what you want to really be aware of over the next 12 to 24 months is leasing. I think it's really important to start focusing on where are the holes in my building, which holes are tougher to lease, and make a decision and lease the space. You'll be happier you leased it today than I think you will be two or three years from now. And you say that because of your concerns about the length of the cycle or... I'm worried about it because the cost to build a building is so high today. And even though rents have been following that trend, I'm not bullish on a tremendous amount of outperformance and rent growth. I'd rather have the space leased at today's markets and be wrong by 3 or 4% in 18 to 24 months mm-hmm. than to have the space vacant in 24 months. And I would just add to that is that, you know, I think that we are at the mature point in the cycle. I think, you know, we're certainly late cycle, mature point in the cycle. So, you know, to Eric's point is you don't want to sit on vacancy and think that it's going to get better a year, two years from now. You lease it today. You think about the kinds of assets that you want to invest in in today's environment. Think quality, think quality of asset, think quality of market. The later in the cycle you are, the less inclined you should be to take that excess amount of risk 
and take that bet on, can I build an office building and be able to get at least in three years from now? So you really need to think about where you're taking your risk and how you're taking your risk given the later point in the cycle. So if I were to summarize, you'd say pricing, not frothy, debt markets, very liquid. Very liquid. But you're still saying tie things up now. Is that about right? I think that's fair. Why don't you talk about Given those parameters, what's interesting to you now in terms of investment opportunities? Again, you have different perspectives. So what's interesting from a core and a non-core perspective? I'll take a little bit different view on the office side of the opportunity world. And the reason is that new buildings are making older buildings ever more obsolete. And as a consequence, your new building really competes now in a much smaller universe buildings that were built in the last two or three years, buildings under construction today, 10-year-old buildings, 20-year-old buildings are becoming far less competitive. And so if you can find the right location, you can still be rewarded for building an office building. Having said that, my preference would be at this point to build an office building or to renovate an office building to what would be considered class A modern space with some pre-leasing. I'd love to have maybe 20, 25% of my space leased and uh, sometimes PMs ask for things that they can't have. That'd be one of them. So a little contrarian in terms of wanting to do office, but saying I want to have some of it tied down. I want to have some of it tied right. down. All right, Ann? Yeah, sure. And I think that's fair. You know, I think where we're seeing some interesting opportunities is really on the industrial side and doing development on the industrial side. So you know, we've certainly seen a secular change in that sector, given the way that consumers are spending dollars and the growth in e-commerce, and it's really driving a secular shift and unprecedented amount of demand in the industrial space. And we've certainly seen that over the last five years. We're starting to see some of that supply catch up with the space. Where we see an interesting opportunity is where we can leverage off of some of our partnerships across the country and access land in what we call those infill markets that are close to the dense populations to those rooftops where the e-commerce retailers or logistics operators need to have quick access to that consumer base, and yet there's limited amount of supply. And so again, we're seeing opportunities to build in that market where we see good underlying fundamentals for continued levels of rent growth that we see being somewhat strained when you go out to areas that have more plentiful supplies of land, where you're starting to see supply catching up with demand. So interesting, both of you said building, one in industrial, one in office. Just very quickly, talk about multifamily and retail, just a sentence or two. Sure. Yeah, I think multifamily is interesting. I mean, we do like the core multifamily space, but what's been interesting is that there's been a significant amount of supply coming into the multifamily market, particularly in the more urban areas, and that's been really putting a headwind on supply. Where we like buying core today is in more suburban markets, where you've got, again, you're going to hear the theme of land-constrained environments, and you've got the demographic shifts of millennials moving more out to the suburbs as they get married, start having kids, and settling where there are good schools, but still commutable to employment. So we like the core suburban story in multifamily. And we think that there will be some opportunities in the urban core multifamily. We just don't see enough of that yet, given the amount of supply that's come in. I'd be a buyer into the chronic underperformance of urban multifamily. It's not finished it's underperformance. It will continue to have a problem. I think there'll be a pricing opportunity. There'll be value that exists in that sector. It won't be deep value, but there will be value there. And if it's reflected in your underwriting in terms of not having to underwrite top of the market rents, or maybe you can underwrite a little bit more free rent and concessionary environment, 
your total return might not look spectacular, but you have to look at the basis of the asset, and you can make a lot of money on basis over time. So both of you actually say with multifamily that the urban areas aren't going to necessarily do great, but you hope that that's reflected in price, and that gives you sort of an entry point. And mm-hmm. nothing on retail. Anyone? I couldn't tell you what to do in retail. I don't know how cheap cheap is. Okay. I will respond, because we are investors in retail on the core side. But here again, the focus has been on quality of location. And at the end of the day, when there's pure distress, there's always the flight to quality. And with what we're seeing happening in the retail environment, you know, we talk about what's happening, the benefits of industrial with regard to e-commerce. The flip side of that has been on the retail side. And so we're absolutely seeing major disruption. And it's very hard to determine who are going to be the winners and the losers. But at the end of the day, the focus is on quality of locations where you've got a sort of broad tenant mix that's attracting consumers and therefore will continue to attract retailers. And when you own those kinds of centers and you can invest in those kind of centers, we're seeing the positive outcome in terms of being able to lease to the retailers, seeing continued increase in sales in those types of centers. But to Eric's point, it's really hard when you start going into lower quality assets to really get a sense today as to what is going to happen to those lower quality assets. And when you look at the number of malls across the country, that is the majority of the number of malls. So you think there's going to probably be less retail going forward, even though you still like some retail? There's absolutely going to be less retail. The United States is absolutely over-retailed. We need probably a third of the retail that we have. And I think that, again, when you start thinking about if we only need a third, you want to be invested in that third. And how do you figure out what that third is? And it comes down to quality of asset and quality of location and traffic patterns, you know, creating that traffic in retail. And when you can do that, you can find the opportunity for success. I think the issue is, and I think this is really where Eric was going, is that, you know, if retail is already broken in the environment that we're in, trying to figure out how to invest the next dollar in that broken retail and fix it, that's a very difficult proposition. It's usually broken for a reason. All right, well, on that cheery note, with two-thirds of retail about to go away, uh, why don't I just ask both of you, what are some of your current concerns beyond that, and what are the things that keep you up at night? Well, I'll just touch again on what Ann mentioned earlier in a very broad sense. I'm following the stock market and corporate earnings. Those are so important to creating demand in our industry for office and multifamily, retail, industrial. And then the derivative of that is obviously the valuations in the market. And as we've seen in the past, when the stock market goes down, I think our investors are far more proactive about adjusting their real estate allocations. Now, 10 or 15 years ago, they were very slow to do that. I don't think that they're that willing to wait. They're far more disciplined about it. Yeah, we see the impact of a weak stock market very mm-hmm. quickly right? close into real estate. Yeah. But what I would say is that the reason why you do is because investors, the U.S. investors particularly today, are mature in their allocations. 10, 15 years ago, they were still building allocations to real estate. Today, they've already moved to 10 to 15% allocations to real estate. And so when the stock market moves and you're already at or over your allocation, you are going to be quicker to make that adjustment. Yeah, I think I'd add to that that 2008, a lot of investors learned what assets that are less liquid do to their portfolios, and they're not willing to hold on to illiquid investments when there is some liquidity left in them. They're far more willing to move out of what might be less liquid, thinking about buying undervalued stocks at that point, and they're reallocating their assets for the next marginal return on their dollar. And they're doing it far more quickly than they've ever done it. So your concern is the extent to which 
flows turn the other way quickly because of some financial market disruption. Yeah, because that creates illiquidity for those of us who build things for a core exit. So if I'm counting on a core exit this year, hiccups in the stock market and headlines create fewer bidders, and that means the prices are not as interesting, and then I become disappointed. And that's a tougher environment (laughs) than it was 15 years ago. So Anne? And I would say that I think most investors do understand the benefits of the liquid asset class and what it does for their broader portfolio. But as I said earlier, I think a lot of what we're seeing is the maturity of allocations and prompting sort of that quicker response by investors out there. When I think about what keeps me up at night is probably debt today. You know, Eric said earlier that debt is accommodative. My concern is that there have been a lot of debt funds that have been raising capital the last couple of years. There's a fair amount of dry powder in that space. And while they've been accommodative up to this point, it still appears that they are maintaining a level of discipline. If they become overly accommodative, reducing their standards, that could create some froth in the market that might cause me more concern of where valuations could go. Yeah, the debt's and not covenant light. They're not really on the margin saying they'll take a much lower debt service coverage ratio. Mm-hmm. The advance rates are still fairly disciplined, which means there's real cash equity in these loans. Mm-hmm. But that can change. That can change. And so a you want to you want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously what we saw before the That's, end of the last cycle. So yeah, you're, you're basically saying here's a sign of the end when you start to like see that every happening. cycle in every the past, cycle. lenders have overextended in the commercial real estate business. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think that's a great way to end. And Eric, thank you for joining us on the Center for Investment Excellence. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you for joining us today on JP Morgan Center for Investment Excellence. CFA members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes on iTunes and on our website. Recorded on March 18th, 2019. For the purposes of MIFID II, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID II, MIFIR requirements, specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This content is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction. Nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, 
and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given, and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored, and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our company's privacy policy. For further information regarding our regional privacy policies, please refer to the EMEA Privacy Policy. For locational Asia-Pacific privacy policies, please click on the respective links. Hong Kong Privacy Policy, Australia Privacy Policy, Taiwan Privacy Policy, Japan Privacy Policy, and Singapore Privacy Policy. This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management UK Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. In other European jurisdictions, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe, SARL. In Hong Kong, by JF Asset Management Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds Asia Limited, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Asia Limited. In Singapore, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Singapore Limited, co-reg number 197601586K, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets Singapore Private Limited, co-reg number 201-120-355-E. In Taiwan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Taiwan Limited. In Japan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Japan Limited, which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investment Advisors Association, Type II Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association, and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, Registration Number, Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, Number 330. In Australia, to wholesale clients only, as defined in Section 761A and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, CTH, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Australia Limited, ABN 551-438-32080, AFSL 376919. In Brazil, by Banco J.P. Morgan S.A. In Canada, for institutional clients' use only, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada, Incorporated, And in the United States, by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services, Incorporated, And J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments, Incorporated, Both members of FINRA, And J.P. Morgan Investment Management, Incorporated. In APAC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and Singapore. For all other countries in APAC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2019, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved.